a family man who was stirring for an adventure. So he took an unusual route to work that day, and along the way, he came across an, an open house for an old mansion that was for sale, and he was strangely drawn to this mansion, so he walked in knowing he couldn't afford it. And in the back of this mansion was a, an enormous library, and his hands went across these books, and he felt a cool draft tickle his fingers from behind the books, and so he took this bookcase and he pulled and there was a door that was revealed that led to an enchanted forest paradise. And so he walked in and there he met a king that was a king like none he had ever met. He was wise and just and gracious and loving. And the king said, purchase this mansion and open it up for all the world. And so this man leaves, he rushes home. And he begins obsessing over how he's going to get this mansion. And he tells his family what he wants to do, and no one agrees. They think it's a bad idea, but he still keeps obsessing. He gets two extra jobs. And then finally, without his family knowing, he took all that they had and sold it and bought the mansion. And he was so excited, he planned for a party, but nobody wanted to come. Everybody denied the invitation because they were really, they were mad at him. So he kept begging and pleading days and weeks and months until finally they agreed. And his kids are, are the first to show up with, with his wife. And his kids walk into this huge house and there's nothing there. And they say, Dad, there's not a thing here. There's not even a dinner table. What are we going to do? And you'll see, he says. Once everybody arrives, he gathers everybody in the library. And he hushes them and then he opens the door. To this enchanted paradise and they all meet the king that's the story of what it is like to be a christian and these three short parables we're looking at today are essentially when you combine them this man's story so i want to read these parables to you matthew 13 verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Second parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Last parable. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore... Every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. First point, value and joy. These men, the one who bought the hidden treasure in the field and the one who found this pearl of great value, they took absolutely everything they had. They sold it all and they used the money to purchase what they found. And implied in this story, we're supposed to see that this is not just something that is of earthly treasure, but there's something that they don't quite understand about this treasure yet, but they know in their heart there's something more to it. That's why they go all in. They were single-minded in their pursuit of these treasures. They weren't interested in diversifying their investment. They go all in. One bet, one investment, it's foolishness, but they go all in for one hope, 
They give everything they have to get it. And that is what the Christian finds when they meet Christ. My question, do you recognize the value of Christianity and do you recognize the value that you have in Christ? And does your life prove that? And if not, why? The question is, how can one man find a treasure, the treasure of Christianity, devote the rest of his life, dying even, so that people will come to believe that Christianity is true and another man sell Christ off for 30 pieces of silver? How can you see these men in these stories who are so overwhelmed with joy, yet it seems too often we are scratching and clawing with bloody fingers for this joy that seems like it's always escaping us? Would your spouse describe you as someone who's filled with joy? Would your coworkers describe you as someone who's filled with joy? Would your friends describe you as someone who's filled with joy? And if they would not, it's because you have a value problem. The reason we don't have the joy of heaven is because we're clinging too tightly to the things of earth. We're valuing earth too much. Now, let me tell you something. The Christian is called to value and treasure the earth. But it looks like we hate it because we have found a greater joy in heaven and we're taking the joys of heaven, the riches of heaven, the pleasures of heaven, and we bring them back down with us to the earth. That's the best thing you can do for this world. So put down your earthly spectacles, pick up the telescope that allows you to search deep into the abysses of heaven and then bring those beauties back. If you're unhappy, it's not you, and it's not the world, it's what you're valuing. Don't blame God, don't blame your circumstance, blame what you value. Take whatever you're value. if you're not happy, look at the thing you value most, and stop valuing it the most of all. Exchange it for something else, because when you get the top value wrong, you get everything else wrong. So here's some questions. Answer these. I'm going to keep throwing them at you. Do you value God more than your kids? Do you value God more than your spouse? Do you value God more than a desire for a spouse if you don't have a spouse? If you can't have kids, do you desire kids more than you desire God? Do you value God more than your career? Do you want beauty more than God? Do you want money more than God? Do you want even happiness more than God? Do you want your kids to be happy more than you want them to find Christ? And are you willing to let them suffer a bit to find him? Are you willing to suffer to find him? You look at humanity, set a goal high enough. There's a lot of amazing things that we could achieve and we could look at people and what they're willing to endure to achieve these things that they value so much and we can stand in awe of humanity. Yet it seems that Christians were not really willing to endure and give up much for the sake of Christ. But if you are, if your life shows that you value Christ above all things, then you will have a joy that's unshakable. 
Just make a faith move. Just whatever's at the top of your list, your top value, just exchange it with Christ. See what happens. But you've got to count the cost. Second point, faith and cost. How would we define faith in these two parables? Faith is you exchanging all of who you are and all that you have for all of who Christ is and all that he has. Do you hear that? Faith, in these parables, you exchange all of who Jesus is, all that he has for all of who you are and what you have, a new identity, new everything. We are called co-heirs with Christ. That means absolutely everything that is his, he shares with us. He's not keeping it from us. But if you want it, give him all of you and all that you have. Salvation is 100% a free gift. 100%. He bought it all. But at the same time, it's like there's a test before you. Like, do you really believe the worth of Christianity, the worth of Christ? Because if you do, take everything, God. I'll pass the test. That's the question. So have you passed the test? Is your house his? Is your money his? Like, did you eat breakfast in the morning and you're, you're sitting at the table and you're looking at your table and you're like, this table, it's even his. Everything. Your spouse, your kids, your job, everything, it's his. Do you see it as that? Now, some of you maybe are saying yes to that. Good job, that's impressive. Imagine you're Abraham. And you have longed for a son all of your life. And you've grown very old. And you've been praying, God, give me a son. God keeps saying, I'm going to give you a son. And finally, God gives you this son, this amazing son, this beautiful son. You're so proud of the son. And then God says, now it's time for you to sacrifice your son on the altar. Would you do it? Now, before you start getting all emotional about that question... Uh, you've got to see the wisdom of what God has just done to Abraham here. Because Abraham has so longed all of his life to have a son, he's finally got one. And now God's saying, now he's gone. The wisdom of God here is Abraham can so easily make his son Isaac the God of his life. Make him his number one value. And then, oh, this beautiful place in the book of Hebrews where we are brought inside the mind of Abraham when all this is happening. And here's what Hebrews tells us is inside the mind of Abraham when he's about to do this. He's about to bring a knife down on his kid. Do you know what he thinks? He knows in his heart that God is good, and he says, God even will raise my son up from the dead because he's promised me a son. And I know he's good, and I know he's loving, and I know I can trust him. Now, this is absolutely genius because, look, he's believing that God's going to resurrect him from the dead. And so you take everything that you love and cherish more than God and you give it to God. It's like you kill it. And then God resurrects it, purifies it, and gives it back to you to be enjoyed the way it was meant to be enjoyed. Whether it's your kids, your spouse, 
things, your possessions, give them all to him. And, and, and here's like, there's so much wisdom in God in this. Because if you ever lost a child, you would know that you've already given that child to God and that will bring you some peace. Like it gives you some impossible type of peace. That's the genius behind God's wisdom here. These parables are just going to keep challenging us more and more. And we've got to stop softening what God has called us to do. I mean, I can't do it anymore. Like, I just, I feel like I've got to go all in with these parables and just tell you what they're saying. So let me just hit you in the jaw a few times. More practical ways. If you're a Republican, would you become a Democrat if God told you to? If you're a Democrat, would you become a Republican? I know, you're, no, don't do politics, David, I'm doing it. And would you have joy in crossing over the aisle? And I know what you're saying, David, I'm already making the godly choice. I already know I am. Don't you know that? It's, not, it's besides the point. Do you know why? Because there is going to be a lot of Isaacs in your life. What I mean by that is God's going to be asking you to do some things that you have no idea what he's doing. You can't see the wisdom of an infinitely wise God, and so you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to take the rest of the 30 years that you might have, or 50 or whatever you have left, or 10, whatever it is, and are you going to try to figure out the wisdom of God before you actually listen to him? Or are you going to just do it now? Because it's probably going to be too late. Your life is going to pass you by by the time you spend the 30 years and finally figure out what God's been telling you. And you're like, okay, turns out he's right. Well, your life is pretty much over now. You've wasted it. So you got to make a faith decision. What are you going to do? There's going to be a lot of Isaacs. Give everything to him. And you're going to enjoy it all the more. The cost of faith is great, but it is good for you. And it frees you. And it should be a joy for you to pay whatever the cost is, like these men in the story, joyfully taking all that they have. I want to read to you another place in Luke, Luke 14. Jesus is speaking to all these crowds. Jesus does this thing, like as soon as a whole bunch of people are around him, he's like, I'm going to scare them off now. So all these crowds are gathering around Jesus, and then he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. <laughs> Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then here's the cost. For which of you, count the cost, desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and deliberate, deliberate 
whether he's able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, well, then he's going to send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Have you counted the cost of becoming a Christian? And all this talk about hating father, mother, son, daughter. I mean, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here because we know this. He says in other places, love your enemies. He doesn't want you to love your enemies and hate your kids. But he's saying something. He's saying that if you're following Jesus, Jesus is going to tell you to go some places that your kids and your spouse might not want to go. Go. Now, at the same time, plead with the people you love to come with you. But at some point, you've got to make a decision. Will you follow Jesus? doesn't mean you leave your spouse. It doesn't mean you leave your kids behind. It means, it means though you're in, like you're all in. In Luke 12, here's some more words of Jesus. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus is saying, like, there's a fire that he's brought upon the earth. And part of, I mean, the fire is the cross, and he's about to walk into it. And then he says, take up your cross and follow me into the fire. And the people that you love might not want to go with you. Beg with them. Plead with them to come. But walk into the fire. And, and bring everything with you. Because, again, here's what happens. The cross, on the other side the treasure is on the other side of the cost, and the resurrection is on the other side of the cross. So follow him through. All that you have, and he'll take everything and he'll purify it, and he'll give it back to you. And now you'll finally be able to enjoy it the way you're meant to enjoy it. You'll finally love your kids the way you're meant to love them, because if you don't take them with you into the fire... If you protect them from Christ, you never meet him, then what's going to happen is they're going to see you as their God, or you're going to see them as their God. You're going to see them as your God. And you're going to crush them, and they're going to crush you, and it's going to be really unhealthy. This is the trick of it all. Whatever's at the top, whatever you value most, let it burn. And by doing that, you're actually able to enjoy it, cherish it, and love it more. Because he returns it to you resurrected and purified. Give him your money, your career, your kids, your spouse, everything. And, you, you know, I know, like, you're good parents. And good parents want to protect their kids. Stop protecting your kids from Jesus. 
stop protecting them from the calling and commitment he's putting upon them. The cost. Stop hiding your stuff from Jesus in your life. Because your inability to give yourself to him, all that you have and all that you love to him, is why you lack joy. And then after Jesus tells these two parables, right at the end. So he tells a bunch of really quick parables in Matthew 13, and then he gets to the end. This is our third point, treasure and responsibility. He says at the end, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said, therefore... Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. What Jesus means here is if you've actually really counted the cost and you have gone all in, then you have this amazing treasure. Now it's time to open up the mansion and share that treasure with the world. You can boil this down to Jesus' words in Luke 12 where he says, to whom much is given, much is required. I think Spider-Man says something like that in Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man robbed Jesus here. To whom much is given, much is required. So be like that man in the beginning of the sermon who opened up his mansion and welcomed all in. Everybody thought he was crazy. But it was worth it. And now they see why. He recklessly spent his money on that mansion. And when they come, he opens the door up for them to a whole new world so they can meet the king. And look, 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 look. When someone you love, when you're telling them this truth about the kingdom and about Christ, and they say, wow, the cost seems so high. You say it's probably higher than you think, but it's worth it. This final parable is a call to mission for every single one of you who has counted the cost, gone all in, received the treasure. It's a call to mission. You're a herald of heaven now, and you can no longer make excuses. You can't rely on the church. You must be the church. Full-time missionary where you live, work, and play. You can't. You can't say yes to Christianity and no to the mission because if you do, you didn't count the cost and say, I'm in. You're an ambassador now. As soon as you have crossed over into the new world, now you're holding the door open for others to walk in. Uh, You know, I kind of messed you up here because you didn't know that before. So you didn't really have any responsibility in it, but now I just told you. I should have stayed home today. You might say, well, I'm not good with my words. I don't really know how to explain the gospel. There's just, there's not, it's like, there's not any excuses anymore. If you've counted the cost and said yes, it would be like being a baseball player and saying to the coach, listen, I love baseball. I don't know how to play, I refuse to practice, and I'm not going to get any better, but I demand to be on the team. It could be that the reason you aren't offering Christianity 
is because you haven't actually attained it. It's not yours. You found it, but you're still counting the cost and saying, I'm not quite sure. It could be that you see it. Like, here it is. It's right before me. But you haven't given everything away to him. And so you haven't attained it, so you've really got nothing to offer except to point to people something that you haven't even yet attained yet. My, my favorite atheist philosopher, uh, Nietzsche, he says, if Christians would seem to me to be more saved than they are, I might believe in their savior. It might be that the reason people aren't flocking to Christianity in your life is because they haven't seen you give anything up for the king. He doesn't seem worth it to them because he doesn't seem worth it to you. And it could be that like, like you found Christ, you found Christianity, and you're weighing the cost and you're saying it's too much, but I still want to call myself a Christian. So I'm going to like play the game a bit and maybe hope that one day I'm just going to go all in. Like you're just waiting for the day. It's going to come. It's going to come. Is it? Or maybe just if you can't do it now, you won't ever. The two men in our story found the treasure, and it was a joy for them to sell everything that they have and go all in. So what, what's, what's the treasure that you won't exchange Christ for? What's the lesser pearl that's in your pocket that you can't let go of for the greater pearl? What are the sentimental things that you won't give away for the hidden treasure? Or what are the sins that you won't let go of? Take whatever, it's simple. Take whatever is holding you back. Hold it in your hands. Just give it to Christ. Just give it, give it to him and like, like if you gotta turn away, just turn away and just drop it. Make it his. Give him your sins. He knows what to do with them. He took them to the cross with him. Whatever's holding you back. You know, like, how are you going to do it, though? Like, it's costly. How are you going to do it? And the answer is you're never going to do it until you see something about the king. You look at him and you see that he was compelled to go all in so he could get you. The way to be compelled to count the cost and go all in is to see that he was the king that counted the cost. He faced every evil enemy that there is. He faced every sin that has haunted humanity. He faced it all on the cross. And he endured it. And he did it with joy. The Bible literally says the joy that was set before him. How did he do it with joy? Because he knew what the cost would give him. You. He was there to attain you. Not to just find you, but to ransom you from sin, death, and all evil. So that then when he did, he would build a kingdom for you, an enchanted kingdom of heaven. 
He buried himself in the field of death, hidden, and he rose out to find you. And he's the pearl of great value because he valued you first before you even knew anything of him. He died for you before you knew anything of him. And he rose from the grave before you knew anything of him. That's why he's this pearl of great value. And he's waiting on the other side now. Buy the house. Walk through the door to a new world. And open up that mansion that you now have for the world to walk into. He's worth it all. Let's pray. Father, when we look at the cost, let us lift our heads up and see you. See your son up on the throne. Keep our gaze and our vision upon you, Lord Jesus, so that we won't care the cost. Because if we keep looking at the earthly treasure, we'll never let it go. So God, help us to see you now. Give us a clear vision of your glory, your beauty, your worth, your majesty, your kingdom. So we might drop everything and run to you, and then you might give it all back to us. Resurrected to be enjoyed. God, make us people filled with joy. People who are reckless for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.